Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Dave Roganmoser, the co-founder and CEO of Proof, a SaaS product that helps build social proof and increase conversion rates by displaying recent customer activity on your website. Dave started as an entrepreneur about five years ago. He paid a developer on Upwork $10,000 to build a software product, but he didn't know how to get customers and so the business quickly failed. He started learning as much as he could about marketing and as he developed those skills, he was able to help local businesses get more customers. So he started an agency, but quickly realized how much he hated the agency life. Next, he and his co-founders launched an information publishing business and sold courses and coaching. But deep down, he still longed to have a software business with recurring revenue. One weekend, Dave and his co-founders built a widget for their website to help them sell more courses. The widget showed you names of people who had just purchased the course. It was social proof and it quickly doubled their sales. Dave started testing this widget on his friends' websites, and they all reported positive results and improved conversion rates too. And that's how Proof was born. In this episode, we talk about how Dave and his co-founders turned that widget, which they built in a weekend, into a SaaS business doing $250,000 in monthly recurring revenue. We talk about how they've grown, how they've dealt with competitors, and some of the biggest mistakes they've made along the way and what they've learned from them. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, there are a couple of things I want to tell you about. Firstly, I've created a great resource for you called the SaaS Toolkit, which will tell you about the 21 essential tools that every SaaS business needs. You can get a free copy of the toolkit by going to thesaspodcast.com. Secondly, if you need help building, launching, and growing your SaaS business, then check out SaaS Club Plus. It's our premium membership and community designed to help you get the insights, motivation, and support you need to succeed with your SaaS business. Just head over to sasclub.co to learn more. Okay, let's get on with the interview. Dave, welcome to the show. Awesome, Omar. Pumped to be here, man. So what gets you out of bed? What, what drives you to work on your business every day? Well, I was thinking about this recently, kind of this, this quote I've been meditating on uh, related to, to, you know, what are we trying to do here at Proof is, I heard it from David Cancel at Drift, but I think somebody else said it before him. It's, it's whoever gets closest to the customer wins. And I think that's this counterintuitive thing. It's easy to kind of say we're customer obsessed or, you know, we're building for the customer or whatever, but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's actually really, really hard to do. And so uh, I think recently, you know, what's been driving me is trying to crack that nut and figure out how do we get close to the customer? How do we truly build something that delights customers, solves their problems? And, and how do we become you know, the most customer-obsessed SaaS company in the world? And that's a big challenge for us. I think it's been a big shift in our company. And so so recently, that's what's been driving me. So you said you've been meditating on it. So do you meditate or that was just a, an expression? Mostly that was an expression. I do do some meditation, <laughs> but, but mostly that's just been a, a quote I've just been chewing on and just thinking, you know, one, is that true? Two, where have I seen that before? And then three, you know, what does that look like for us? And so, yeah, just a question I've been chewing on over and over. So for people who aren't familiar, tell us like what, what is proof? 
you know, who are your target customers and, and what problem do they have that you're trying to solve? Yeah. So we started about a year and a half ago and proof helps businesses increase their website conversion through personalized social proof. And so any business that's selling something out there right now, you know, what we originally kind of got up, came up with the idea because we were looking at, you know, booking.com or Airbnb and we'd see these, you know, notifications slide out and say, two people booked this hotel room in the last day, you know, book now, there's two left. Or, you know, 47 people are watching this right now. And I thought that's pretty cool. So we ended up creating that solution, you know, for ourselves. And that's what we offer now is that companies can hook up to proof. And, you know, if you're selling a product, you know, we could say how many people bought that product recently, or we could say how many people showed up on your site in the last 24 hours. We're kind of taking what's happening on the site by your visitors, by your customers, we display it to your other visitors. And what we found is that when we do that, people get probably 10 to 15% on average conversion lift um, across all of our different customers, uh, which is a, a really, really exciting thing for them. And so, you know, at the end of the day, what we offer is a, a conversion lift in a way that's, that's good for the business, but also good for the customer. Yeah, I've seen proof everywhere, you know, going onto a sales page and so-and-so just bought this product and, uh, you know, there's definitely uh, some, some great virality built into that product. One question I had was like, if somebody is, maybe they're not selling a product every day or regularly. Like for example, you know, I, I have a, a, a membership site called SaaS Club Plus, but most of the time it's a kind of a closed enrollment and, you know, mm-hmm. enrollment opens up at certain times of the year. Would proof work in a scenario like that? Or would it not make sense if like there was nobody buying anything in the last two months because we weren't selling right. anything? Yeah, yeah. So it probably wouldn't work well in that situation. Kind of what we tell customers is, you know, what is the perception that people would expect of your business when they come to the site? You know, maybe some people make 10 sales a day. And if you're a little shop, you know customers see that and they think, wow, this, this is bigger than I thought. I thought maybe they were only doing one or two a day. You know, if, if Nike puts it on their site and they're showing that they had, you know, 10 purchases a day, uh, people would be a little bit confused and a little bit worried that Nike was going out of business. And so <laughs> uh, you kind of just decide, you know, it's like, what do people expect? You know, what's the perception of your business right now? And can showing and revealing, you know, what's actually happening on the site increase, you know, trust, transparency, and, uh, and ultimately help people take more action and have a better kind of buying process. Okay, so I want to kind of set the context of the business in terms of like size. So in terms of revenue, where are you guys right now? Yeah, we're at about 250,000 MRR right now. And you have a team of what, 17 people? Yep, 17 located in Austin. We've got, you know, almost everybody here. We got 15 people here uh, in Austin and then two remote. I've got to come down to Austin. Like I'm, I keep hearing about it. And, uh, you know, I've got some friends who moved down there as well. It uh, sounds like it's the happening place. It's pretty sweet. It's it's November 29th right now, and it's uh, 74 degrees outside. So oh, I'm enjoying man. it. <laughs> it's yeah, pretty thanks. sweet. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are YC alum? Yep. Yeah, I did YC earlier this year. How, how much have you raised so far on this business? Yeah, so we were kind of fully bootstrapped up until the point where we got into YC, and then we took a little YC uh, investment, and then we raised around $2 million at the end of YC as a a seed round. Great. So I want to talk about how you came up with the idea and sort of tell the story to to where you've got to today. But you have an interesting background. So before we kind of get into Proof, I'd like to talk about what you were doing before Proof and sort of what led you to build this business. So what were you doing? Before, yeah. Uh, 
So I've really kind of been working for about four or five years now on the same problem for customers, but in, in about three different iterations of how to solve that. And so I started as an entrepreneur about five years ago, tried to start this little software business. You know, that failed. I didn't make any money. I spent about 10 grand getting this thing developed and I'm not a developer. So I got this thing developed on Upwork and, uh, and I knew I need to figure out how to do marketing because I didn't know how to get any customers. I said this dead product out there in the world. Uh, and so I just started like obsessively studying marketing and then started reaching out to, to local businesses, helping them do Facebook ads, do SEO, build their website, essentially help them build a site, drive traffic to it with a high enough conversion rate that they could make sales and be, and be profitable. Um, so my kind of my first iteration of trying to solve this conversion rate problem was this agency where I would just do it all for them. Got up to about you know twenty five clients. I was managing. Kind of hated the agency life because now I just had you know twenty five people that were mad at me all the time <laughs> because I didn't know how to scale. I didn't know how to systemize. I was just like trying to like juggle all this at the same time by myself. But it was, it was a great learning opportunity to, to see. Okay, this is a real problem. Businesses are willing to pay a lot of money to help have this problem solved, and I'm actually pretty good at this. I can go out there and do this. And so that was kind of iteration number one. And I was actually working with my two co founders that are still with me at Proof now on that same problem. So I uh, kind of got to the end of the agency and we were just, you know, so worn out. We said, okay, we want to get rid of almost all of our clients, you know, keep a few that we like, and then we want to go launch into an information publishing company. And we wanted to create courses and do some coaching and just teach people, one, how to launch and, and build a consulting business, but then two, how do you do Facebook ads? How do you build marketing funnels? How do you do all these different things that we were doing that we were really learning about? So we, we launched into that, which was us, instead of kind of doing conversion rate optimization and, and doing online marketing for people, we were then teaching them. And they'd say, hey, can you, you know, optimize our website, or our landing page for us? I say, no, but you can buy, you know, this course that teaches you how to do that. And that was a really cool experience for us because we learned, you know, that we could productize a service and do a product and sell that. But then also we learned how to like really scale a business. And with the, at the agency, you know, I could, I could handle a max number of clients, but with the information product business, you know, we could sell, you know, unlimited copies of these video series and, um, you know, coaching a little bit less, but we, we really learned in that experience how to scale, how to run a lot of paid traffic and run it at high volume, how to build high converting marketing funnels and, uh, and just learn so much more about that while still helping people solve that same problem. Uh, it was kind of around that time as well. I still kind of lumped this into like phase two. We, uh, you know, we were building out or building out the consulting business. We were trying to figure out how do we uh, actually invoice our customers. And one weekend, our co-founder, uh, one of our co-founders, JP, built this little app that would hook up to Stripe, allow me to email a link to a customer. They could open up a little invoice into their credit card information, pay it, and be done. No, super easy. We called it Pay Funnels. And so essentially, we kind of built this thing for ourselves, but never intended to on like selling it or anything like that. So by the time we started launching this course business, people would land clients and they'd say, well, Dave, I just got a client to say, yes, how do I actually bill them? And I said, oh, I don't know. We, we use pay funnels. You know, if you give me a week, we can probably figure out how to you know, give you a login for it and you, you could use pay funnels yourself. And so without really giving like too much effort to pay funnels, it grew to about 500 people that were paying $29 a month for it. And uh, which was really exciting for us because it was this, you know, kind of, you know, recurring, you know, relatively passive source of income that was just kind of piggybacking off of our main business, which was the courses. And so that was kind of our first dipping our toes successfully into SaaS. And uh, we ended up, you know, being able to sell that business off 
Um, and it was kind of at that, around that time, you know, we were getting a little bit tired uh, of running courses and selling courses. Um, we'd kind of successfully built this little software product and sold it off. And we thought, you know, I think we could do this again, but way, way bigger and way, way better if we put all of our focus into this. And that was around the time that proof came about and, you know, proof was kind of iteration number three of, Hey, how do we solve this conversion rate problem for these customers? And, it was instead of doing it with a product, you know, a, a course or a training, it was doing it with software. And so we said, well, we'll just hook up this software and it's actually going to do the conversion rate optimization and give you a lift, you know, for you automatically. Um, so you can see a, a pretty, you know, good progression, you know, from between those three different stages. And we've really been like thinking about this problem really deeply for five years, building up our skills, building up our knowledge, uh, even building up a customer base to the point where when we launched Proof, everyone that had bought our courses and were on our email list and everything, I mean, they were already looking for solutions to this. And so we had a really nice base to kind of go launch with strength into, uh, which worked out really well for us. And so uh, that's kind of the background, you know, and I really do think of all of those as very, very tied together. We really would not have been able to do Proof uh, without the other two. And, uh, and I think it was important that we did them in that order. Yeah, I think it's always interesting because whenever we look ahead, it's really hard to figure out sometimes what to do, how to get something done. You kind of think that it's a very linear journey and it's not. And But when you look back and sort of connect the dots, you're like, oh yeah, I, of course, that, I mm-hmm. had to go through that before I could get to this point. Why did you sell PayFunnels? We didn't really... We didn't really know how we were going to grow it or what, you know, even it really was going to be. And so it was just, again, it was kind of built on accident. And we ended up just talking with someone about, you know, selling this thing off so we could focus uh, on a new product and, you know, got a good offer for it. And, and I think we just kind of wanted to also see, like, before we started Proof, we wanted to, like, see the completion like the whole life cycle of a SaaS product and like, what does it look like to actually package this thing up and sell it? And what is a buyer actually looking for and all of that. And so I think for us, we just didn't really have a vision for, for where it was going to go. And we knew we were going to put so much work into something that we wanted to have a clear you know, direction and vision for what we were doing there. Did you already have a plan for proof at that point when you started to look for a, a buyer? It was like right around that same time. And so I think, yeah, we, we had started thinking about proof um, I think we ended up actually like closing on pay. I think we started. I think we started trying to sell pay funnels about a month before we had the idea of proof. But then we'd already like launched proof by the time pay funnels actually sold. I think it was about a five month process of us kind of getting that thing sold off. So it was all kind of happening around the same time. So tell me more about how the idea for proof came about. Yeah, so you know we were selling courses. Facebook ad costs were rising. Um, it seemed like courses and, and kind of teaching information was becoming a little bit more of a commodity. We were making you know less and less margin. That compounded with the fact that I would look over at some of our competitors that were selling similar courses and they were just lying about how many people were taking their product or what results. And I kind of knew the backstory, but you know, they were telling these people in these webinars these crazy things. And I was like, that's that's total crap. Like I know that's not true. And yet it was working, you know, it's like they were selling something that was a little bit too good to be true, but it was working, you know, online and, and they were making more money and their funnels are more profitable and more successful. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing, you know, one, because I didn't think it was the right thing to do, but also I just thought that that's not going to be good for our business in the long run. And, you know, we're trying to build a business that, you know, we can be building in, in 20 years. And so if I just burn all my customers right now, you know, there's not gonna be a business there. 
And so I was looking at that and thinking, you know, there's got to be a way to make more money for us, but also be more transparent and, and tell our customers more. And that was, again, kind of the time that we had seen on these other sites, these tools that Airbnb was using. And I found out later that they just built them themselves where they were showing me like actually what was happening. And as a consumer, it was really good for me because I could make a better buying decision. I knew more about what was actually going on. But then as a business, I was thinking this probably works for them. And so uh, we built it one weekend, um, put it on. We were selling a course called the Entrepreneur Alliance. It was, you know, $30 a month, $1, you know, seven day trial. And about 19% of people who hit that order form would actually sign up for the trial. And we've put proof on there, um, which uh, we didn't call it proof. We just this little widget thing. And uh, it just said, you know, Dave from wherever the IP address uh, was located, just bought the Entrepreneur Alliance. And we put it on there, you know, waited, um, you know, a couple of days to see what would happen, which, you know, looking back now, it probably wasn't a, a perfectly valid test and came back and saw that it was converting at 42% instead of 19%, that the variant was at 42%. And uh, wow. like, yeah, like this is this is amazing. And we really didn't know if it would work. Um, we hadn't invested much into it. We're like, this is amazing. I think at first we thought, this is going to help us sell so many more courses. Like this is going to be our competitive advantage against the people who are lying out there. Um, but then, you know, I kind of started testing on some of my friends' sites, people running webinars and, you know, doing, selling other courses and stuff like that. And, and across the board, all of them reported back, this is really awesome. The, the, the split test with proof on it is crushing it. How can I you know, buy this thing and put it on other parts of my site and all that? And, uh, and that was kind of when we thought, okay, maybe this isn't just a tool for our own business, but maybe this is the business. And, uh, and that was kind of the light bulb moment for us. But we really wanted to see, does this thing actually work first? Because uh, if it didn't really work, we had no interest in, in actually trying to like, you know, scale this thing and sell this thing. I love talking about products that were built over a weekend. I mean, you've been through that, right? When you talked about building the first product, and I'm sure it wasn't a weekend when you spent 10, 10 grand to build a software product, and I've been there too. But uh, you know, it's, there's something just beautiful about taking a tiny, tiny product, getting it out there, and seeing if the market it resonates with the market. Yeah, and it's so much easier when you're solving your own pain because, like, we were our customers, like we knew we wanted it. You know, I mean, fortunately, we had an engineer, you know, as a co-founder who could actually build that. A lot of people aren't, you know, that fortunate to have that. Um, I think it's the way to go. I mean, I think when you're thinking about an MVP, I mean, it's just got to be quick and raw and dirty. And you've got to get it out into the market to test it and see, like, does this thing work? Does this thing, you know, have any staying power? I think that's just a huge mistake. I mean, if you're building an MVP, you know, if you're listening, you're, you know, working on something right now. Like, if you can't get something out in under a month then it's too big. That's kind of the uh, the rule of thumb we have for any new product. It's like if it's if it's more than a month it's in scope, you know, it's way too big. We got to cut that thing down and just get it out there. So you're getting good feedback from friends and sites that you've tried this on. It's helping them get results as well. And then you sort of realize this potentially is the business we should be focused on. What was the next step for you guys? Where did you go next? Yeah. So at the time, you know, we had the Entrepreneur Alliance that was, you know, making this, you know, monthly recurring income for us, which was nice. And then um, we said, well, we still don't really want to build out the whole product until we know, you know, that more people want it. And so what we did was we we held this webinar, uh, invited you know, our whole list to it. I don't know. We had, you know, maybe 80,000 people on an email list or something. And we, we sent us, you know, a bunch of emails and said, hey, come, we've got this new product we want to show you guys. It's going to change, you know, how people do marketing. And, you know, pitched on this webinar, 
proof and it didn't exist yet. We, you know, we had some case studies of just, you know, people we tried it with, you know, pitch this thing and I'd done webinars before and we kind of get to the end and I'm like, you know, we're going to give this to you, you know, it's a thousand dollars for the first year. But the problem is it's not actually ready yet and it won't be done for another month or two. And everybody was like so deflated in the webinar because they were like, you know, really, really wanting to try this thing now. But even without the product being done, just me casting the, the vision for it, we had about 40 people. I think it was 39 people signed up for a year, paid money up front, like right on that webinar and gave us about 40 grand in revenue for a product that didn't exist that allowed us to kind of invest that, you know, into the product. And so not only was it nice, like upfront cash flow, but it validated the idea. And it was like, well, worst case scenario is we're going to make 40 grand out of this thing. You know, that's worth going and kind of building this thing out. So I think that's a really important thing for a lot of people. You know, they, they just spend so much time before they go out there and try to sell something where we kind of flipped it and we said, let's sell it to even see if it needs to be built. And so, yes, that was kind of a, a really cool, I think, early lesson for us. Okay. And so let, I want to talk about like growth strategies that you've used to to get to where you are today, which I think you mentioned it was around 3,000 customers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, the one, the obvious thing is the the kind of inherent virality of the product, right? So you, you see this thing popping up on different sites and at the bottom, you'll see, you know, verified by proof. That on its own is a is a great way to get the word out about the product. But what were the growth strategies that really have helped you guys? Yeah, so I think it is important, you know, for companies to think through, like, is there some aspect of virality that you can build into the product? And yeah, proof is, you know, very obvious. It pops up on sites. But I think with with most companies, you know, there's something that you can do to build in these viral loops. And I think a lot of people think about SaaS companies, you know, just like a funnel, you know, just from the top of funnel, you know, people on your visitors on your website all the way to the time the person buys. And I think that it ends at purchase. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. It's kind of the old way to think about it. You know, now you got to think about it in loops. And once somebody buys, how can that cohort of new users actually create another cohort of users? And so I, I think you've, you've really got to stop and think, how can we build this thing uh, into the product? And, uh, and don't just think, you know, oh, I don't have a proof type product. You know, it's not going to work for me. Uh, but we had that and we were really excited about that. And we thought that's going to be a competitive advantage. And so first thing we did was we, we made a list of 50 people in the marketing industry that we felt like influenced most of the market. And we just went hard after those 50 people uh, and said, you know, we want to get all of these 50 using the product. And, you know, after a couple months, we probably had 40 of them using it on their sites. And that was just a really great thing because all of a sudden everyone's saying, I'm seeing proof everywhere. And the reality is, you know, we didn't actually have that many customers. We just had the right customers. Um, so everybody started signing up for it and they'd seen it and it was just validated. And, and I just think we attacked the market the right way there. And so uh, that's kind of the, the first thing is, is get the peop- get the right customers early on, the people that will influence everybody else. And that worked really, really well for us. How did you figure out who those influencers were? Well, we'd been in the space for, you know, years. And so I just, you know, I just knew inherently, we kind of just sat down and said, hey, who, who do we all watch? Who do we all look up to? You know, who's, and this is all kind of in the in- information marketing space. And so we're just like, you know, who are the people we've bought courses from? And and so, you know, in that space, it was pretty easy to kind of make a list of those people. And, and we kind of knew, again, because we'd been in the market for so long. And did you charge these people to use the product or you just kind of gave it away? 
I, I think some we charged. I think, you know, really we just kind of, I, I think we tried to charge and, you know, a, a lot of them or, you know, most of them, you know, paid. But I think if we got any pushback, it was like, hey, can we just put this on your site as a test and just see how it goes? Um, because we knew that, that really what we wanted was was the authority. I didn't actually care that much about the revenue from any of those people. But yeah, I think I think most of them paid. Yeah, because even if you got nothing from these these influencers, they were going to be a great distribution channel for you. Because yep. they were basically advertising on their website. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think we had them pay mostly because I thought they would value it more if they were paying. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're just not paying, you know, they're probably not going to log in and set it up. It's just this little thing. Um, but if, if I can get them to, to pay, you know, they're just going to be so much more invested in it. And so I just, I, I wanted them to pay, you know, mostly for that reason. Okay. So you, you've got the influencers and you had pretty good success if you were able to get, you said around like 40 out of those 50 people that you had on a list mm-hmm. using proof. And you're right. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean proof is everywhere, but certainly getting on those types of sites makes it feel like proof is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. To that, to that industry, proof was everywhere. And people saw it, you know, every time they'd go buy a course or look at a video, you know, whatever. And so there was just so many impressions we were getting on one specific audience, which really, you know, made proof, you know, we kind of had a monopoly, you know, in this new space that we had carved out. How does proof work? Is it just like people add like a pixel on their page and you guys kind of hook up with that? Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. It's it's a pretty easy install. You you hook up the pixel, you, know, you put the pixel in the header of your page. People are familiar with that. Then you decide kind of where are you capturing emails, like where are you capturing you know different customer events from. How do you want to format that information? What kind of notifications do you want to show? And then you know what pages do you want to display that on? So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty simple process to hook up. Uh, the other thing that has worked for you is Facebook advertising, right? Yeah, yeah. Which you know has always just kind of been this natural strategy for us. I think as I've, you know, talked with more and more SaaS businesses, people just aren't doing this and aren't using this. And, you know, people kind of look back at me and say, you know, oh, we've we haven't been able to get, you know, Facebook ads to work. But for us, I mean that's just that's just how we thought about growth. It was like if you're not growing with Facebook ads, you know, then then what's the what's even the point? And uh it's, yeah, we've kind of used it, you know, from the beginning. And and for us, you know, so we think about we always want to spend about one third of our lifetime value, you know, for our customer acquisition cost, which I think it's kind of a good industry standard, you know, one third, one fourth, you know, maybe a little bit worse than that when you're starting out. Um, but we wanted to be able to, yeah, spend a third of what we make. So we've always kind of kept that metric and, you know, kind of how our funnels work is, you know, when we were running info products and selling courses and whatnot, it was like, you know, we'd always laugh at the people that like drove Facebook ads to the homepage. And we're like, you know, you need to send them to a lead magnet, capture their email, give them some sort of PDF and send them down this funnel, all these steps and steps and steps until they buy. And we tried that with SaaS and it worked some, but what we ended up finding after talking to, you know, a couple of different people that were running, you know, paid traffic for other SaaS companies was that if we just optimized our homepage, we could drive most traffic straight to the homepage. And like the, the free trial is the lead magnet. You know, that, that's not a, a huge upfront ask. Um, it's not like I'm selling them some thousand dollar product or something like that. And so, so the lead magnet is kind of built in inherently into the SaaS model for most companies. And so 
for the most part, you know, we, we spend a lot of money, you know, driving traffic to our homepage. We do some, you know, retargeting, some warming people up. You know, when we launch a new blog post, we'll kind of retarget our whole list, you know, with that. So, so we definitely do some of that, but, but really the moneymaker is driving people to the homepage from there. Okay. So you talked about how much you're paying on Facebook. So let's just say, you know, a customer is worth, what, about 800 bucks a year. And let's just for argument's sake say, you know, they're around for a year using the product. Mm-hmm. So if that was the case, you'd probably be spending a couple of hundred bucks to on Facebook to acquire each customer. Yep. Yeah. We would say, you know, in that case, okay, $266 is our max. You know, we don't want to spend any more than that, you know, to get somebody to actually pay. Um, and then we kind of work backwards from there. And we've got a 14 day trial where people actually have to like pay at the end of that. And so we kind of work backwards from there, you know, based on our trial conversion rate. Um, I think right now our trial conversion rate, the way we're calculating it is about 23%, something like that. Um, and so we kind of work back and say, okay, we, we need to get people to sign up for a trial and start the 14 days for about 55 or $60 in order for all this math to work. And, and if we can't do that, we need to kind of scale back the ads and, and figure out, you know, what's going to work. Hmm. I think I looked this morning, we report on this every day. Uh, I looked this morning, I think yesterday we got all of our trials for on average $24. So we're well under yeah, the amount that we need right now. Nice. Is there anything special that you do with Facebook? I mean, is it just like, are you running ads and just clicking, you know, people just click through to the homepage or is there something else going on behind there? Yeah, we've got, you know, some really great um, guys, some really great marketing team here that, that runs all that. I, I wish I could actually say, I just don't actually know <laughs> all the, uh, the secret sauce of what they're doing on Facebook right now. You know, we, we do a variety of warming people up with videos. You know, we're really big on video ads. And so most people will see some sort of video kind of initially, uh, after they see a video, you know, they'll see probably a, a, a ad that just drives them to the homepage with some copy on that. We also run our ads for a really long time. I think we have ads that you know, we have ads that have, you know, thousands of comments on there and uh, some good, some bad, you know, we, we don't really care. We just like that, you know, it looks like it's been really, really popular. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll let those things run for, for a year and, and they still work. And so I think, you know, obviously we're big into social proof. Uh, it's what we sell, but we love social proof in all different areas. And one, I think one of the, the keys is to let your ads run long enough that you get likes and comments and shares because it starts to build up a lot of social proof on your ad. And when people see that, you know, when people see an ad come through on their Facebook feed that has, 400 shares, 2.2 thousand, you know, likes, you know, it's like all those numbers, they, they kind of stop and say, okay, what is this? This is different than the other ad that had zero likes, zero engagement, nothing. I'm going to keep scrolling on that. Um, so that's one thing we do that, that we just try to build up social proof, you know, and everything that we're doing. Yeah. I was just looking at your homepage and I, I don't know, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but it's not the typical page you'd see for a, a SaaS product. Hmm. There's just something about it that just feels more like a landing page. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know what that. I don't know what that. Maybe it's that that picture on the left that doesn't <laughs> scroll. Kind of just just kind of keeps you there. But yeah. Uh, and then when you get there, obviously there's like you know, hey, start that 14 day free trial is is the most prominent call to action on that page. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely are thinking through like like what's the one thing that we want them to do on this page. And uh, it started a 14-day free trial. And so, yeah, I just think inherently like every 
everybody that like started the company, you know, together, like we were all marketers and like all like direct response marketers. So that's kind of in our DNA. So we probably can't help, but you know, when we create a homepage to think, okay, this is a landing page. Like everything is a landing page. Like what is the one action we want people to do when they hit this page? And uh, let's just drive everything about that page into that action. I want to talk about some of the lessons that you've learned along the way, or maybe the, some of the mistakes that you've made. I know one of them was kind of around who you were targeting when you started out and, and kind of, let's say like it, how it led to lack of focus. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like who, who were your target customers when you started out with, with Proof? Yeah. So starting out, we were just building this thing for us and we were selling courses and coaching. And that was who most of my friends were. That's who most people I knew. Those are the conferences I went to. Uh, and so I was like, this is, this is who we're building for. You know, Proof is social proof for infopreneurs. That's probably what we called them. And, uh, and that made it really clear. You know, it's like we knew the exact funnels that they were using. We knew the exact software they were using. We, we knew what price points they were selling, what they were selling. So it became really, really easy to build the product, to do our marketing, to just like run straight forward because, you know, to, to create a list of 50 people that we knew influenced the whole industry. And it just was this like such a focusing way to start that we were able to make, you know, huge amounts of tractions in, in such a short amount of time. And, and so we launched that way. And what quickly happened was, you know, the product started blowing up. You know, we had more people signing up, you know, than, than we knew what to do with. And with that came a lot of other types of customers, people that were lawyers, people that were in e-commerce, you know, stores, people that were running on Shopify, people that were consultants and services, business and agencies, and all these different people came in. And I think a mistake that we made that we've kind of realized and, and recorrected recently is we just started building the product for anybody. And it was kind of like anybody who sells any product online and like has some money that they want to give us, you know, that's who our customer is. And so I, I look back and our, our messaging started getting watered down. Our strategy started getting watered down. We didn't know. And we talk about who the customer was and we would just kind of say, well, it's anybody that's using our product. And so we couldn't build these, these great, deep features for people because we, we didn't really know who we were building for. And that was definitely hard. I mean, you know, that was kind of a product of, you know, well, we just kind of started growing really fast, which is you know, a good problem to have. But looking back, we, we really should have stayed laser focused. And instead of trying to go wide and serve everybody and think, you know, we're going to take over the world, we should have kept going deep. I'm just trying to solve, you know, for our power users instead of kind of trying to solve for the average customer. And so that that was, you know, one of the bigger mistakes that, you know, looking back over the last few months, we, we've kind of said, okay, that, that was a mistake. Let's go back and kind of fix that. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough thing to do because especially when you're starting out, right? You don't, when you're not really sure who your target customer is, you don't want to exclude yep. anyone, at the beginning. And then I guess once you get to a point where people are coming and paying you money, it's even harder because you don't want to say, no, I don't want your money. Totally. Um, it's a really hard thing. And I think people worry and we worry, and, you know, it's like, am I, am I limiting myself? Am I, am I cutting off, you know, parts of the market? And yeah. Here's this person that is willing to pay money. And, you know, how am I going to turn them down? This is what I've been trying to do the whole time is build a product that people want to pay for. And I think there is a time for going wide and, capturing, you know, new markets and new industries. But I think, you know, for us, you know, we just didn't, we didn't execute really well on that. And I think we just kind of got bloated and kind of got a little, a little soft there. Tell me also about the product, because when we were talking before we started recording, you were telling me how you started out and 
you had developed the product super lean, but you kind of ended up facing some issues around that not not too long after you launched. So what happened there? Yeah. So I think when we started out, you know, we just built this super scrappy product, not built to scale. You know, we, we didn't even know if anybody besides us was going to use it. And so, so we really just weren't thinking about, you know, what happens if 3000 people start using this in the next eight months? You know, we just didn't have any good billing practices set up in how we built the product. You know, we, we didn't have any way for multiple people to log in. We, we didn't build our, our JavaScript snippet to, to load fast and to be able to be built on and iterate on. And so, you know, fast forward about seven months and, and the product development kind of ground to a halt because every time we try to do something, you know, we'd, we'd break more things, you know, than we, than we fixed, you know, every time we would add a new feature, it would just be like, you know, this thing is not built to take new features. It's just built to do this, this one little thing here. And so we kind of, yeah, hit that uh, earlier, you know, plus we've got all these customers. We're trying to figure out how do we scale and how do we keep server costs down and how do we kind of do all those different things uh, that we really weren't ready for at all. And so, you know, we kind of stopped and we, and also we didn't have many developers, you know, on staff. We had, you know, mostly marketers, which is not the right way to build a, a SaaS company. Uh, we needed more developers. I think we were really late to the game as, as far as building or as far as getting more engineers to work with us and actually build up the product. And so uh, we kind of had to, to stop and, and almost for, I don't know, two or three months, generally just kind of work on backend things that customers couldn't see, you know, for the hopes of, you know, back when, you know, this is going to make everything so much faster once we get going again, and we're going to be able to add features so much faster. Um, but I think we, we kind of took our eye off the ball. And I think that's a deadly place for SaaS companies to be is to be working on things that your customer can't see, customer can't feel, customer can't experience. And I think we should have kept more resources on customer facing activity and, and then kind of staggered, you know, kind of the, the technical debt cleanup over a period of time instead of kind of like making the shift to just go deep uh, on fixing that. Uh, and so I think the result of that, you know, Customers, you know, were probably thinking we weren't developing as fast. You know, this product isn't going to, you know, keep getting better. Copycats, you know, entered the market around that time. And they were kind of just coming in and cloning our product and making it look the same and calling it the same, you know, name or similar. And uh, and so it's just like a lot of kind of things happened around then where, where I think we lost, you know, some ground and lost some of the momentum that we had. And, uh, and I think just looking back, like if you have momentum, do whatever you can to keep that. Like don't. Don't let that momentum up at all because like once you lose momentum, it's really hard to get it back. Now, I've seen a couple of different sort of scenarios. One is where founders are kind of feel like they need to keep improving the product and get new features out there. But when you kind of scratch below the surface, you kind of realize, well, actually, the the kind of the main use case that they were trying to solve for they're doing a pretty decent job and there aren't people sort of screaming at your door to fix stuff or add new features. It's just the founder feels like, no, 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 these are all the things we need to add. The other situation you often see is where your customers are banging on your door every day. It's like, hey, why isn't this working? Or, you know, I, I, I really need this because it's going to make my life so much easier. When are you going to ship that? So which one was it for you? Was this driven by you guys feeling like there was still a big gap in the product and you needed to innovate? Or was it customers were asking for stuff and you weren't able to deliver on that. Yeah, I think, you know, we probably had a year's worth of customer requests that that we needed to get out the door and we just couldn't wow. get to them. 
And so for us, it was like, man, there's all this demand, all these questions, all these integrations, all these, you know, issues. And, and we just can't get to these things fast enough. And it's a really frustrating thing. And almost every SaaS, you know, founder I've ever talked to, you know, feels the same way. So uh, it was good to actually, you know, hear that from other people. Um, but yeah, we, we just had, you know, so many things that we wanted to build and do. We just didn't have the engineering, you know, manpower or skill to, to kind of pull it off at the time. And how much time did you spend thinking about competitors? Because it's, that's always a difficult place to be kind of thinking about how much time do you spend on focusing on your product and serving your customers versus what is happening in the market and what competitors are doing. But I think it's even worse when those are copycat competitors and they're just people who are just plainly coming to your site and figuring out how to just completely clone what what you're doing. So how much time did you guys spend thinking about competitors? We don't spend that much time thinking about competitors, to be honest. I mean, we're, we're aware of them and, and, you know, people certainly will tell us stuff and tell us, you know, what they're seeing in the market. You know, we ask, but we really try to stay very customer centric. Our, our number one core value is to be customer obsessed. And so uh, rather than think about, you know, all the things out there that we can't control, you know, we think about, hey, who are we building for? As long as, as, long as one person wants proof, we're in business. And, uh, and these are the people that we want to be building for. And the mar- markets are huge. I mean, I mean, there's, there's probably room for, you know, a hundred proofs out there. And, uh, you know, we feel like we've already kind of carved out and solidified this social proof marketing category and, uh, and dominate. And, you know, every new clone that comes out is basically a clone of us, not, you know, some of the other competitors. Yeah, we, we, try not, we try not to spend that much time. We don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the competitors. And, uh, and I think it's just interesting, like, these companies come and go. Like we are thinking about how do we build a company that our grandkids can work at someday. And so I just don't think anybody has the same time horizon that we think about. And we're willing to invest, you know, the bulk of our lives into building great products for our customers. And so I think when you kind of move the time horizon out that far, no one's going to be around doing this, you know, in that long, certainly not a company that, that calls itself blank proof or, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> word that they use to kind of uh, copy us. And so I just think, you know, if you don't have, you know, the, the conviction or the, the innovation to come up with a little bit different product than us, you know, it's like, you're really probably not going to be somebody that's, that's competing with me in, in 10 years or five years, or even what we found is, you know, most of these companies aren't even around in like three months. So we haven't really spent all that much time thinking about them though. Uh, I think at first it was, it was definitely frustrating. Yeah. Right. And, and I think the big takeaway there as well is that just because you can build the product doesn't necessarily mean you can build a business. And that's probably why, you know, maybe people look at Proof and say, yeah, I could do that. Or, you know, we could build something like that. But uh, that's just half the story. Yeah, right? There's a lot of work that goes into actually building that business and, and marketing and acquiring customers. Yep. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, this again, there's just so much room. And, you know, for most companies, like, you're just not going to build a big enough business that like the market is going to be so crowded that that you can't compete. And so it's just, you know, most people are just thinking, Hey, how do I build a, a good SaaS business? Not necessarily the next Google. I don't think companies usually die from competitors. I think companies usually die just because they couldn't get their stuff together internally and build a, a good enough product, you know, for their customers quick enough. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, without kind of making it sound depressing, there's probably a lot more ways you can screw yourself up before competitors do anything to you. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm a pretty competitive guy. My wife says I'm the most competitive person she knows. Uh, so I, I love the battle. I love the, the fight, but like, this isn't, this isn't a zero sum game. Like it's not like if I win, my competitors have to lose or if my competitors win, like I have to lose. Like the reality is, you know, even though I don't like it for competition is like multiple people are going to win and, and that's a good thing. And we just need to make sure that, that we're the best that we can be and we're delivering value every day to our customers. And on that, I think it's time to wrap up. So let's get on to the lightning round. Uh, I'll ask you seven questions and uh, just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Love it, man. I'm ready. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I think that quote I've been thinking about recently. Whoever gets closest to the customers wins. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I've been loving the Zappos biography. I forget the name of it, but it's all around. uh, I think it's called uh, Delivering Happiness. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I saw Tony Shea on a flight back to Seattle a while back. Oh, very cool. And he was sitting in the middle seat in, <laughs> in coach. And I was uh, like, wow. Amazing. I love that. I love hearing that. <laughs> uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I think being able to recognize sunk cost. I think a lot of people start working on things and, and I am willing, if I am 95% done with a project and I decide it's not the most valuable you know, thing I can be doing, like I will cut a project right before the finish line and I will cut companies right before the finish line. And I see a lot of most successful people doing that out there. And so I think just being able to like recognize the sunk cost and uh, be able to just kind of optimize for like whatever needs to be done today and you know, do that. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I'm not a big habit guy. That's one thing I'm, I'm trying to work on is being, you know, more disciplined, more productive, you know, better habits. I, I've just historically not been very good. There's this one app I've been using recently uh, called Forest that uh, kind of shuts off your phone for however long you want it to. Uh, it's been really cool for productivity. and It's helped me like stay off my phone, particularly at night when I'm back home with my family. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a good question for you since you just told me that you want to think about building a long-term enduring business, but what's the new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about this and honestly, I don't have one. I, I'm, I'm all in on proof. You know, we've kind of put you know, all of our eggs in this basket and we are all in and in it for the long haul. And so, you know, I, I'm just so excited about what's down the road for proof. That's a fair answer. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I've got a tattoo on the inside of my lip, my bottom lip. No way. Which is a weird place to have a tattoo. Why? uh, (laughs) I I don't know. There's no reason why. I just got it when I was back in college. And it says EMA, E-M-A-W, which stands for Every Man a Wildcat, which is the uh, the mascot of the college I went to. So it was just uh, some dumb college thing. I I can't even imagine how painful that was. (laughs) (laughs) It did hurt. It did hurt. Uh, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I think my family. I got a, a new son, Benjamin, um, who's a, about a year old and wife. And yeah, thank you. And so, you know, I come home, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, turn off my phone, turn off work, you know, be all in on my family. And uh, I'm just passionate about learning how to be a dad and, and be a husband. Love it. Great. Now, if uh, people want to find out more about Proof, they can go to useproof.com. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, you can hit up Dave at useproof.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from anybody who's listened to this. Love it. Dave, thanks for joining me. Thanks for sharing the story of Proof and, uh, you know, both in terms of how you built the business and the lessons you've learned and uh, 
also how you kind of the journey you took to to starting this business. It's uh it's a great story and uh you know, I, I certainly learned a lot and I think you shared some great insights and I'm sure people listening to this will uh walk away with with some some inspiration and ideas that they can do with their own businesses. So thanks for taking the time to join me and uh, I wish you and your co-founders all the best. Awesome. Thanks so much, Omar. It's a pleasure. Cheers, my friend. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. You can get to the show notes as usual by going to thesaspodcast.com where you'll find a summary of this episode and a link to all the resources we discussed. If you enjoyed this episode, then head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're in a good mood, consider leaving a rating and review to show your support for the show. If you're not already in iTunes, just go to thesaspodcast.com and click the iTunes button. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care.